Hi family and welcome. Thank you for joining us today. In today's message, we're going to continue our series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and in particular look at how the gifts edify or build up the church when they operate in the context of love. But first, let's join together in giving our adoration to the Lord. The scriptures say that God first loved us. And so let's use this opportunity in our worship to love him back with all our hearts, souls, mind and strength. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over every heart and every mind Cause I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus I just want to speak the name of Jesus Till every dark addiction starts to break Declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus Your name is power your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn By depression, I speak Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is love. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows. From the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, 
I speak the holy name, Jesus. Yes, shout Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family. I speak the holy name. Yes, Jesus. Will you stand up and speak Jesus with us over your circumstances? Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus, shout Jesus, shout Jesus from the mountains, yes, Jesus in the streets, and we present ourselves to you, Lord. We acknowledge you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And in you is healing, Lord. We speak healing over our nation. We speak your power, Lord. Your name, the name above all names.
Father, thank you that you are with us and that, Jesus, you promised that you would never leave us or forsake us. And as we've celebrated Christmas in this week, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, and that we can know that you're not only with us today, but that you are with us in every moment and every aspect of our lives. We give you thanks for this time of worship, and we love you, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to use this opportunity at this time in the service to make an opportunity to take up our tithes and our offerings. So if you can, uh, as you're sitting at home, get ready if you need to give electronically or purpose to do so shortly.
whatever the Lord has laid on your heart to give. Uh, the relevant banking details, whether you want to do uh, electronic funds transfer, will appear on the screen. And also the QR code for SnapScan is available to you. Thank you for your generosity. Well, I trust in this week you've had a wonderful opportunity to celebrate Christmas with your family. And from me and mine to you and, your, to you and yours, I trust that you've had a blessed Christmas and, and that that blessing extends not only into this week, but into the rest of the year ahead. Today, we're going to continue our series on uh, the gifts of the Spirit and look at 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14. And in particular, we're going to look at what do love and the gifts have in common? Why does Paul speak about love and the gifts together in this particular session, section? Why did Paul place this passage here? So just to recap our series, in the first part of our series, we looked at the body and the gifts, and we noted that we're all an essential part of the body of Christ. Last Sunday, we looked at the, about the Spirit and the gifts and how the Spirit uh, bestows a wide variety of gifts on each one who's present. And in Paul's particularly arguing, therefore, a greater variety of gifts in the church in Corinth. The title of our message today is Love and the Gifts. So what do what does love have to do with it, perhaps, is one way of looking at it. So in our series, we're focusing on the charismata, the grace gifts or the spiritual gifts that are recorded for us in Corinthians, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, as we look at this, remember the purpose of the gifts is always to edify the church, to build up the church. And in some cases, perhaps like with the word of prophecy, it can lead to the conversion of unbelievers, as Paul records it for us in the text. The New Bible Dictionary describes the gifts of the Spirit this way. It says the, the, it's about God's grace coming into visible effect in word and in deed. It's God's grace coming into visible effect in word and in deed. So let's just recap on some of the principles that we've looked at so far in this series. Firstly, we noted that it's very important because you're part of the body of Christ that you do not disqualify yourself or the gift that God gives you. But others are also part of the body of Christ, and so it's important there not to dismiss the gift of God that, he, that God has bestowed on others, not to dismiss others or the gift that God has given them. And then last week we concluded with a, with a couple of principles just around the variety of the gifts and how the Spirit bestows the gifts. We took note that the gifts are available to everyone, but they are not primarily for you or about you. In fact, you never own the gift. You're a steward of the gift, but you don't own it. It never belongs to you. It's given by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and also, it's always given with somebody else in mind, with a very clear purpose for the common good, to build others up. And that's why Paul is, that's really what Paul's tried to land in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. And so as we turn our attention today to chapter 13, uh, one of the questions we have to ask if we're thinking of why did Paul put this chapter here is in the context of the gathered church, which these three chapters speak about. And remember, the principles we're learning are for the gathered church, but can be applied into other spaces or extended into other spaces as long as we understand them well in this context first. We've also noted that the questions or the problems that the Corinthians were wrestling with are different from our own. Often we come to this passage wanting to learn about the gifts or to perhaps learn about love, whereas the Corinthian problem is a little bit different. They were probably singularly focused on gift, perhaps tongues, because in the five gifts lists that are in these chapters, only tongues is mentioned in all of them, which leads a lot of commentators to conclude that there's something going on with the gift 
of tongues in the, in, in the church of Corinth. Probably they were over-focusing on it and using it as a sign of maturity or what does it mean to be spiritual for them would have meant to speak in tongues a whole lot. And so why did the Corinthian church need to hear about love? And by extension, why do we need to hear about love? You see, love was a problem in the Corinthian church. We know from the first four chapters of the book that there were divisions in the church, strong divisions where some groups were saying they were right and others were wrong. We know that from chapter 11, when they were having their community meals, their, the Lord's table, as they practiced it at that time, that they weren't considering one another properly. They weren't considering those who did not have and those who did have. And it wasn't working well. This was not a church where true biblical love was being well expressed. And so into this context, where Paul talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he says you need to understand, you need to not be uninformed about how important love is. So chapter 12 ended for us uh, with verse 31, where Paul said, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And that's really going to be picked up in chapter 14. But then he says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. And this is the way of love. And so that's what we're going to look at at this time. This is not a digression in Paul's argument. I believe this is a central element of what Paul is wanting to help the Corinthians understand about the gifts of the Spirit. And it's also important for us to understand this about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, essentially what Paul is saying is that the gifts must operate by means of love. The, the reason, the motivation, and the way and the behavior that is associated with the gifts of the Holy Spirit is that of love. Love is critically important when we're considering the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about love. Uh, let's talk about love. Now the Greek word that's used particularly in this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is the word agape. Uh, as you see on the screen there, probably the best way we can describe the, the intent of this meaning, particularly the way it's used in the New Testament, is that it speaks about an unconditional love. It doesn't depend on the behavior of the other or if they reciprocate it. It's unconditional, but it means to act for the greatest good of the other, to act for the greatest good of the other. It's a love that's not focused on self at all, but really focused on what is in the best interest or what's good for the other. Now, in this passage, it's very important to remember that this word is used in the verb form. Okay, it's used... Um, Agape, not agapao, which would be the noun. We'll talk a little bit about that now. But it literally means to act in love. So when we read the word love, we probably would best translate it to act lovingly means this. To act lovingly means that. To act lovingly doesn't mean you keep a record of wrongs. And we'll, we'll get into that part of the text shortly. So here, agape is a verb. It's a, something you do. It's an act, it's an action, and not a feeling. So it's not in the noun form. It doesn't describe a feeling. And this is a particular challenge for us in contemporary culture. Maybe it's because of the movies. Maybe it's because of the, the dialogue and the discourse that happens on social media. Uh, it happens when we talk to each other. When, when we, as Christians today, hearing this message, hear the word love, our default association is that it's a feeling. And so sometimes we'll say we don't love someone anymore because our feelings change. That's not what the Bible is talking about here at all. In fact, you know, I'd almost like to just use the word agape so that we don't get confused with our just our cultural defaults. You know, in our culture today, we very quickly say that to correct someone is unloving 
or to challenge someone's behavior is unloving. Uh, and really there, we're just talking about a feeling. But if we look at the definition of agape, where I'm acting in the best interest or for the highest good of another, sometimes the best thing I can do for you is say that you're behaving inappropriately or what you're doing is going to lead to destruction because that's the most loving thing I can do. If I really love you, I can correct you and I can act in a way that is to your benefit or for your good. So as we read this passage, if we can remember that this is an action and not a feeling as we get into that. So perhaps the best way to say it is that love is beyond an idea. It's beyond a feeling or even a motivation. When Paul talks about love here, he's talking about how you behave. Okay, he's talking about behavior. Now, for those of us who are married, I'm sure you've had this kind of discussion with your spouse. Unless you have a perfect marriage, maybe you've only had it once. I, I know I've had, it, I've had to be on the receiving end of it a couple of times in, in my married life. But you know, sometimes when you, when you don't do something or you, in the marriage you talk about, but you know, you intended to do something, but you didn't actually do it. Uh, and your spouse might say to you, well, your intentions might have been good, but your behavior didn't match your intentions at all. And good intentions sometimes just aren't good enough. They don't count in certain situations. And so this is important to remember with love. It's not about the intentions. It's about the behavior that actually counts. It, what counts is what you do. And so in the context that Paul is addressing this to the Corinthian believers, he's talking about how they behave towards one another. And I think in the Corinthian church, and there's commentators that agree with this, this was one of the fundamental problems in Corinth, is they did not love one another well. They behaved in ways that were selfish, self-centered, self-aggrandizing, making themselves, puffing themselves up and looking better. And Paul is saying that fundamentally, not only with the gifts, but all Christian behavior should be about acting in a loving way. So specifically with the gifts in this context, we need to look at that. So it's time to get into the text. And the language in the text is, is really beautiful. It's like quite a change of gear that Paul takes here. Uh, and even though it's beautiful, it's still very powerful. And there's lots of truth that Paul is trying to convey. So let's get into the text and read the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13 together. Please, if you have your device or your Bible with you, you're welcome to read for yourself in that, uh, on that platform. Let's read together 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 to 3. <clears throat> Paul writes and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I just make a noise. Verse 2, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries, and have all knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give, up, give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So please remember, it's, I do not act in a loving way. If I do not act in a loving way. And so Paul's point really in this paragraph is with these highlighted phrases. But if I do not have love, I do not have love, I do not have love. What Paul is really getting after here is that any religious activity, including the gifts, whether it's languages of men or angels, as we spoke about last time, whether I have the gift of prophecy, if I have all kinds of words of knowledge and understanding, if I live incredibly generous, I give everything away to the poor, which could be uh, an unction of the spirit, 
or if I give my body to hardship, maybe physical suffering, like going to prison, perhaps later even martyrdom. If I do not have love, it really doesn't matter. I think what Paul is saying here is that religious activities without love just don't count. They don't meet the standard. They don't meet the mark that God is intending for them. Love is an absolute necessity. Perhaps it's easier to say it this way. Any expression of spirituality or religious activity in an unloving way, that is done in an unloving way, does not really benefit anyone, least of all yourself. You might do some good, but in the long term, if you're just dismissive, you know, you're dishing out prophecy or you're helping the poor, but you're dismissive, you're unloving, and you're not acting in a loving way when you do that, they might be fed for the day or helped for the day, but in the long term, it really is not going to benefit people because they're going to be feel, made to feel less than. They're going to be made to feel unimportant. And this is not how God sees people or how God wants people to be treated. So any expression of spirituality or religious activity in an unloving way does not really benefit anyone, least of all, yourself. Now, we know that love is focused on the others, but really doesn't help you in the end anyway. So that's the first paragraph in this verse. Now we kind of get a bit more to the meat of what Paul talks about. And what he really does in the paragraph from verse 4 to verse 7 is he gives us a concrete definition of love. Love's not a feeling, it's an action. And so if you want to act in a loving way, this is what it looks like, concrete and clear. He takes it from abstract and he makes it concrete for us. If you're ever confused about what it means to love somebody, this is where you come and check if you've been acting in a loving way. So let's read 1 Corinthians 13 from verse 4 to 7 together. Love is to act lovingly. Let me read it with a verb form. To act lovingly is to be patient. To act lovingly is to be kind. To act lovingly means you do not envy. To act lovingly means you do not boast. If you're acting lovingly, you are not proud. If you act lovingly, you do not dishonor others. If you're acting lovingly, you're not self-seeking. If you're acting lovingly, you do not get easily angered. If you're acting lovingly, you do not keep a record of wrongs. That's great marriage advice, by the way, but we're not talking about that today. Uh, to act lovingly means that you do not delight in evil. You cannot agree with wrongdoing if you love somebody. To act lovingly means you rejoice with the truth and what is true of the world and of the universe and of life. When you act lovingly, you always protect, you always trust, you always hope, and you always persevere, you always keep on going. Fifteen verbs, forms in this paragraph. It's an action that we do. And so when I am patient, I'm loving you well. When I'm kind, I'm loving you well. When I don't keep a record of wrongs, I'm loving you well. When I trust you and when I hope for the best for you and when I keep on persevering even when you want to give up, when I do those things, then I'm loving you well. It's not about my warm feelings towards you. It's not about my positive sentiment to you. It might sometimes not even matter all that much about how much I like you. It's about acting in a way that is consistent and loving according to what God wants. If you want to look at love, the cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate act of love. Jesus says he loves us and then he goes and he dies for us. That is the foundation. God is the model of love. And so when I'm, we're talking about the gifts of the Spirit. So when I'm 
perhaps the Lord has given me a gift of healing and I'm praying for somebody, if I'm patient and I'm kind and I'm respectful and I honor them when I'm praying for them, I'm respectful of their person, then I'm operating with the gifts in love. When I'm giving a prophecy and I'm understanding and I'm kind, when I'm doing miracles of, of any kind, if the Holy Spirit is doing them through me, let me maybe be more precise in my language, and, I, and I'm loving well, when I give to the poor and I don't keep a record of wrongs that last time you wasted the food I gave you or something like that, then I'm acting in a way that is loving. And so love is an action. Paul makes that clear and he defines what that looks like. It's patient, it's kind, it's slow to anger. All these things are key in not only our Christian lives, but particularly when we're operating in the gifts, when we are gathered. We're not on power trips. We're not yet to embarrass people. We're not yet to expose people. We're yet to be loving, patient, kind, and gentle as we engage with people. As we go on in Corinthians, it's just important to understand some context for the next paragraph. And often this is a place where some people get stuck because uh, certain people think that what Paul is doing here is he's drawing a contrast. He's going love versus the gifts. I don't think that's what Paul is doing at all. I think he's arguing for love and the gifts. He's arguing for a both and and not an either or. But to make the point and to put the gifts in their correct context, he has to help the Corinthians understand something. Because the Corinthians had a misunderstanding of the gifts. They felt that if you were super gifted and if you expressed your gifts all the time, that was the highest expression of Christianity. That was the highest expression of spirituality. And so they'd taken the gifts out of their proper context and they'd elevated them to a place that they shouldn't be. Now, gifts are very important. This is not saying that gifts aren't important and Paul is not against the gifts in any way or form. But he has to help the Corinthians put their gifts, put the gifts in their proper place, in their proper context. And to do that, he uses an analogy about a child and a grown up and about seeing imperfectly and, and seeing perfectly. And what we must understand is he's talking about now and then. And he actually uses that language quite a bit in this verse. He talks about now I see, but then. And what he's talking about is this life, this existence, the reality we all live in now. That is the now. But the then, the future existence is when the kingdom of God comes on earth, after Jesus returns, when the perfect has come, is the language he's using. And so what he is contrasting here is the present existence and our future existence as believers. He's not contrasting love and the gifts. It's very important that we understand that, particularly when he talks about the child and the man. Uh, he's not saying gifts are for children and love is for the mature. That's not the point at all. He's talking about the now and the future, or if you like the language, the already, but the not yet. And that's something the Corinthians also got a bit wrong, but that's something we can discuss at another time. So let's read this paragraph together. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8 to 13. What Paul is trying to do is put the gifts in their proper context for the Corinthians. Let's read together. Love, acting lovingly, never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And where there is knowledge, it will pass away. So the gifts of the Spirit, perhaps the, the, the ones that the Corinthians were most comfortable with, prophecies, tongues, and knowledge, Paul is saying they're not forever, they're not for eternity, they're going to pass away. 
He goes on then and says, for we, now, for, for we know in part, he means now, in this life, we know in part, and we prophesy in part. And this is just the reality of this existence. We cannot know perfectly. We, because even though it's a gift of the Spirit that comes in our lives, it still works through us. People who are redeemed by Jesus, but still have some part of a fallen nature in us. The gift of the Spirit comes on us, but perhaps still has to be translated through our souls, translated through our grid of experiences in life. And that often causes us to know in part, not often, always causes us to know in part and to prophesy in part. We do, in this existence, we don't fully know. But when completeness comes, when the kingdom of God comes, when Jesus returns, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Maybe let me just comment here if we pause the reading. What we must understand here is there is a contrast, but what is also inherent in this analogy that Paul is drawing is that when I was a child, I spoke and thought and acted like a child. That is completely appropriate for children. We want children to behave in childlike ways. It's not great to see a seven or eight-year-old acting like a 30-year-old. It's inappropriate. We look at it and we go, really? And so the behavior of a child is appropriate for the existence of a child. So where Paul is going with this is that for this life, in this existence, an operation of the gifts of the Spirit is appropriate. It is right. It is made for this life. But in future, when I receive achieve full spiritual maturity when the kingdom of God has come when Jesus has returned then I will be a man and then I will need to behave in ways that are appropriate for that existence I will need to behave in ways that are appropriate for an adult in that context let's pick up again at verse 12 for now in this life we see only as a reflection in a mirror and ancient mirrors weren't as clear as modern day mirrors and, and there's an analogy that can be drawn there but this life we don't see perfectly we don't know the future and even when we're operating with the gifts although they are the grace of God that's manifest in word and deed they're still partial I see dimly as a reflection in the mirror but then we will see face to face now in this life I know in part but then I shall know fully when the kingdom of God comes even then as I am fully known but now these three remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love. Why does Paul say that love is the greatest? It's very simple. It's because love is eternal. Love is permanent. You see, uh, faith is for this life. Faith is the substance or the evidence of things not seen. When I exercise my faith, I'm believing in things that are still going to happen. I'm believing that I'm going to get eternal life because I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's something made for this life. Faith is for this existence. It's for this life. I live by faith and not by sight. I look at what God does and I primarily translate what God does into my present existence. Faith is made for this life. So is hope. We have hope that God will, that Jesus will return. We have hope that eternal life will be better. It is for this life. But after Jesus has returned and the kingdom of God has been established on earth, I don't need faith anymore. I don't need hope anymore because everything I've been believing in, everything I've been hoping for, has come into reality, it has come into existence. But what will remain is love. And that's why love is the greatest, it's because it's permanent. So what's Paul telling the Corinthians here in this space? 
He's saying to them that the gifts are for this life and they are important for this life. And let me stress this, the gifts are for this life in existence. It's not love is more important than the gifts. In this existence, part of the grace and the love and the kindness that God bestows on us is he makes the spiritual gifts available to us through the Holy Spirit. And these gifts are suited for this existence and they are appropriate for this existence. They are appropriate for our thinking, our acting and our behaving as we uh, live this life. They're yet to empower us. They're yet to make the grace of God manifest in our lives. The gifts are for this life. Now the Corinthians had probably said the gifts are a sign that the future has already come. And Paul is saying, no, the gifts are just for this life. The gifts aren't eternal. Doesn't mean they're not important. They're very important for this life. But the Corinthians need to hear that they're not eternal. But what Paul is also saying is that love is both for now and for eternity. Love isn't just for eternity, it's also for now. And so in this life, what we want is love and the gifts operating together. There is a greater existence and a clearer reality and a truer truth that is going to come in our lives when the kingdom of God is established. But until then, the gifts are a sign and an evidence and an appropriate expression for what God has done. And I think the gifts of until the kingdom of God has come, I don't think the gifts stopped when the last apostles died. I think they carry on to today and they're available for believers in this life for today. And so in this existence, like a child must exhibit appropriate behavior, so should the Corinthians and so should we. We must operate the gifts in love. Now, as I was preparing, I came across a great quote by one of my favorite Bible scholars. His name's Gordon Fee. He said the following when he was exegeting 1 Corinthians 13, 14, he made the following statement. He said, the character of one's deity is reflected in the character of one's worship. The character of one's deity is reflected in the character of one's worship. The statement kind of stopped me in my tracks because I thought this is actually true. We know and, and hopefully we're going to be able to talk about this statement in, our, in, in, in next Sunday's sermon as well, because it's a fundamentally true statement. But for today, we know that God is love. He loved us first. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And so when we worship, we have to worship in love. When we live our worship lifestyles, when we express our Christian faith, we have to reflect the character of God. We know that God is spirit, and so we should expect gifts of the spirit to be relevant and operating in our lives. We know that God is powerful. It is in his character. And so the gifts of the Spirit can express the grace and the power of God in our lives. And so the character of one's deity is reflected in the character of one's worship. And as we talk next week, we'll see that the character of the Corinthians' worship was probably a little bit off. But as we as a church gather, what we want is the gifts suited for this life and this existence. And we want love because they both reflect the character of God, and these should be reflected in the character of our worship. And so what are some of the principles that we can express? Well, I think one of the things that Paul is definitely saying is that love is the context in which true spirituality must be expressed. It's definitely not love versus the gifts. And when I'm exercising the gifts, I need to have the other person's best interest or highest good in mind when I'm doing that. I need to be patient and kind, and I definitely need not to be proud when I exercise the gifts. And so let me perhaps summarize this with two principles. 
Firstly, acting in love and the gifts must go together. They must go together. It's not love or the gifts. You know, some churches say the gifts aren't for now. What counts now is love. I don't think that's true to what the text is saying. That's my, my view, or my considered view of the text, that love and the gifts must go together. They are not separable. It's not one or the other. It is always a both and. It's an imperative that we must have love and the gifts together. And I think then that that implies that when I have love and the gifts together, that this is the true manifestation of God in our communities, whether that's our gathered church community, whether it's the community around us, the society around us that we're trying to reach and love. When I've got love and the gifts together, then I have a true manifestation of God. It's not power and it's not just love. It's love and power together. It's love and the gifts of the Spirit together. It's love and mercy in the gifts of helping and love and leadership together. That's when we have a manifestation of God in our communities. And that is when people's lives will change and we'll be able to change the communities around us and our gatherings also. So as I thought about applying this message this morning, I remembered an opportunity I have. Um, in the 1990s, uh, the Holy Spirit did a move across the world, which was some people call it a revival, some people call it a refreshing. Uh, it was popularly named the Toronto Blessing, where the Holy Spirit moved through many existing churches and refreshed them. And our church here at Hatfield was part of that. And the couple that God used worldwide probably the most or to initiate this uh, came from Toronto in Canada. Their names were John and Carol Arnott. And uh, if my memory is correct, they, we had at least two conferences here in the mid to late 1990s where they actually came and spoke at our church and, and ministered here in the room. And God used them greatly and it was very powerful, particularly um, the lady, her name was Carol. And so as it worked in that stage, I was um, fitter and uh, stronger and everything at 20-something was supposed to be. And so the church leaders at that stage asked me to be a catcher for Carol. And so this story is about catching for Carol. Now, the Spirit of God rested very powerfully on Carol. By the way, to be a catcher meant simply that when she prayed for people, you kind of stood behind them because often they would be overcome in the power of the Spirit and they would fall down. And so the loving thing to do, to act lovingly, wasn't just to let them fall on their heads, but to gently catch them. And, you know, there was a whole technique involved with it. And uh, me and another gentleman called Greg, we were catchers for Carol. And so what would typically happen is there would be a time of worship and then there would be a sharing of the word or a scripture that they felt that God was saying. And then at the end of the service, there'd be a time for prayer. And what would often happen is, uh, if you can imagine the Hatfield Auditorium, we would pack up all the chairs. We had lots of people helping. We'd pack up all the chairs and then people would line up in rows across the whole auditorium and wait for prayer. And then we had a ministry team that would go through and pray for people. And so when we started doing that, Carol would go and she would start praying. And the, the Spirit rested on her powerfully. And most often when she prayed for people, they were overcome in the power of the Spirit. And so uh, Greg and myself got very good at catching for Carol. And I uh, don't know if my back ever recovered, but uh, we were doing that. But what struck me, two things struck me greatly about her. God was using her internationally. Is what she completely loved the presence of God. She would stop in the middle of what she was doing and just go and experience and, and acknowledge the presence of God. And even though the Spirit was powerful on her, and sometimes she'd be operating the gifts of the Spirit, praying for healing, um, uh, you know, doing deliverance, people would be overcome by the power of God, giving prophecies, wherever the Lord was leading her. What struck me is how she loved the people. 
Everyone she stopped in front of, she saw them. She saw the person and she loved them. And it wasn't a rush. And sometimes she would sit with people for minutes, long, even though there were long rows to be prayed for. She loved the one in front of her. And so there we had a great example. I had a great example of the power of God and the love of God coming together. Now that was a way that the Spirit was manifest and acting in that time. And the Spirit is moving and active in this time too. But we must have love and the manifestations of the Spirit together in our places. And so when people encounter agape, when they encounter people acting in the love of God, they encounter God as well. We encounter God through the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, and we encounter God when we loved well. And so if we go back to one of our key principles in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, where it says, the Holy Spirit bestows the gifts for the common good. When I love, when I agape, then the common good is natural and normal. I won't want to do a gift of the Spirit unless it is for the good of the other. It's not about me. I never own the gift. It doesn't belong to me. It's not about my status. It's not about my pride. It's about loving the person in front of me, loving the person that God wants to bestow the gift on. If you want to know how you're doing with love, you could go back to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 to 7, and every time you see the word love there, what you could do is substitute your own name. And so you could start by going, Neil is patient, Neil is kind, Neil is gentle, Neil doesn't keep a record of wrongs, Neil isn't proud, just don't use Neil, use your own name, please. And see how you're doing. See what it reveals in your heart. See what God says to you about that. And so one of the fundamental questions that we've also been noting that the Corinthians have been asking is, what does it mean to be spiritual? To be spiritual means to love well and to act in love. It means to have the gifts and the spirit. I never flaunt my spirituality at the expense of others. And so let's pray together as we end this message. Father, you are love, and I pray that increasingly you shed your love abroad in our hearts, that we can know how deeply we are loved so that we can love others and act lovingly towards others in a better way. And as we celebrate this Christmas season, that you loved us by becoming one of us, God with us, Emmanuel, help us to let our worship and our lifestyles express your character, the fact that you are love in everything we do, in our private lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our workspaces, all our public spaces. May we be marked as a people of power and of love. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining today. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the rest of 1 Corinthians 12, 31, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 14 and particularly look at the gatherings and the gifts. And I would ask if you have time in the week just to perhaps read the whole chapter. We're not going to have time to read everything next week. But if you can do that in this week, it will be really helpful. Also, just some announcements, if you can remember, uh, that we will, be doing, uh, we will be celebrating New Year together as a community, but we'll be doing it online. Uh, and so on the 31st of December from 1800, from 6 p.m., uh, a special New Year's message that Pastor Louis has recorded will be available for you online to view with your family and friends. Uh, unfortunately, because of COVID restrictions, at least at the time of our planning and at the time of our recording, 
Uh, the national lockdown curfew is still in place, so we wouldn't legally be able to have a, a midnight service as we traditionally do in the past. So please join us online with your friends and your family, and let's enter the year together uh, virtually and really in the presence of the Lord. Bless you as you go into the week ahead. Thank you.